1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: Welcome back. Great to have you with us on opening day in St. Louis. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and it's always great to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line when Bob Costas is standing by the 2018 winner of the Ford Frick Award from Baseball's Hall of Fame. Bob was going to do the Yankees and Red Sox today, but that game has been rained out and they're going to play tomorrow. Bob, good morning. It's always great to talk to you. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. Looking forward to baseball. Uh, all the talk about the lockout and all the disputes and the minutiae of the deal. I think most baseball fans, and that includes me, while we may be knowledgeable about it, we essentially put it aside. Once they're playing games, That's what makes us happy. That's where our focus is.
0: And you think about where we were when we spoke a year ago on opening day. You had been locked down for a long time at your home. Most people had. We didn't even have a vaccine at that point or the vaccines had just come out. To think about how far we've come in that last year is pretty remarkable and it's great.
2: Yeah, 2020, 60 games of the regular season, everything in a bubble. 2021, opening day around baseball, sort of limited uh, socially distance if there's such a thing in a ballpark. So the average opening day attendance might have been 10,000 in some places. It varied from city to city. But now, weather permitting, there's going to be full ballparks around baseball. It's going to feel like baseball again.
3: Bob, it's going to be a packed house at Bush Stadium. St. Louis is absolutely buzzing right now. Not only is it the final season for Yadier Molina, what we assume might be the final season for Adam Wainwright, but of course we have the reunion with Albert Pujols and the Cardinals. And it's great for Cardinal fans to have Albert back. It's great for the organization to have him back. But how good is it for baseball to have Albert Pujols back with the Cardinals? You know, Michelle, I think
2: anything that is a feel-good moment, whether it's the Field of Dreams game between the Yankees and the White Sox that was so successful a year ago, that sort of thing. The all-century team, if we think back and all those legends, uh, almost like it was a separate field of dreams in real life, uh, walking onto the field at Fenway Park and Ted Williams throwing out the first ball. Anytime the Cardinal Hall of Famers come back in their red jackets, as they will on opening day, and you see all those legends, that remind people of their connection to baseball and the fact that whatever its problems may be, it has the richest history of any sport. All of those things matter. And so here you have a rarity. Uh, Wainwright and Molina, their entire careers in this era with one team, uh, more than 300 games as the starting battery. And if they uh, stay healthy this year, uh, they'll pass Mickey Lolich and Bill Freehan. For the most games as a battery in Major League history. Now, Lolich and Freehand played their entire uh, careers with the Detroit Tigers, and to the regret of Cardinal fans, beat them in the World Series in 1968. But that was an era in which it wasn't all that uncommon for a star player to remain with one franchise for a very, very long time. It's less the norm these days, but with Wainwright and Molina, it's happened. Uh, and so they'll have that little uh, footnote uh, as they, uh, we assume, retire most games ever as a battery in major league history. And then with Pujols, it's just poetic. It's just appropriate that he would come back. And while a lot of National League fans, uh, myself included, have misgivings about the Universal DH, there are strategic wrinkles and little nuances that the National League style of pre- play brought to the game, and now that's going to be gone. But one of the advantages is that it probably wouldn't have been as practical. Uh, to bring Albert Pujols back without the universal dh. Uh and as happened in the American League at the very beginning of the dh rule back in the 1970s, a lot of fan favorites had their careers and their effectiveness extended by the dh, Carl Yastrzemski, uh, Orlando Cepeda, Al Kaline, players like that. So that's what it's doing for Albert Pujols uh and if you followed it and I'm sure you did, when he went from the angels the angels released him and of course that's the american league and they had the dh and the dodgers picked him up people wondered how can they make use of him and they actually did make pretty good use of him, spotting him against certain left-handed pitchers usually as a pinch hitter very occasionally as a first baseman so Albert can still be effective he's not going to get nearly the number of at bats that he used to but uh, if they pick their spots properly Albert can still be effective
0: and Bob part of what makes baseball great for me and I think it does for you is we grew up in a time where your, your parents, your dad would take you to a game and point out the great player and say, hey, that's that's a great player. I've, I've watched him play for years, and now you're going to get an opportunity. Mm. So much sentimentality has been lost from baseball. And we talked to Bill DeWitt yesterday, and he said, yeah, sentimentality did play a role. Now the way baseball front offices are structured, there isn't much room for sentimentality. So to have these three guys together for yeah. one last ride is something that I think parents can deliver to their children this year in St. Louis?
2: Yeah, there will never be another Stan Musial in St. Louis. But I think of the words of Harry Carey on Stan's last at-bat. Take a good look, fans. Take a good long look. We won't see his like again. Well, now we know, season long. Take a good long Mm -hmm. look. Uh, and these three guys, I mean, obviously there were some hard feelings when Albert left, and now he's coming back and tie a ribbon around it and make everything right, a complete reconciliation. But Wainwright and Molina have been classy. They've been true Cardinals. They belong in the Pantheon, as does Albert, one of the greatest hitters of all time. Um, so it isn't just the last at-bat or the last pitch thrown. It's all season long. Remember this, because it's very unlikely that this sort of scenario will ever come our way again, even if we live to be a hundred.
3: And Bob, I think too, we want hope as sports fans. We want to see greatness in real time. And just the chance that we could see Albert get to 700 is enough. I think for a lot of Cardinal fans.
2: Yeah. Do the math for me. How, how far off is he about 2019? 20, 21, or, how, 21, 21, 21. That's, that's asking a lot considering the number of at bats he's likely to get. Um, but who knows? He's Albert Pujols. Maybe if he hits 15 this year, he comes back for another to get the 700. Who knows?
0: Hey, Bob, we talk to fans all the time. And they're disappointed that the Cardinals don't go all in. And the Cardinals, uh, I've got a a stat that I love. Since the end of the 2010 season, in the last 11 years, the Cardinals have played five regular season games in which they didn't have a chance to make the playoffs. Five meaningless games in the last Mm -hmm. 11 years. As you travel around, you go to different ballparks. Do you think the, the fact that Cardinal fans are upset that they haven't won a World Series since 2011, does that cause them to be... Entitled to entitled, perhaps.
2: <laughs> well, as I speak, uh, I'm I'm sitting in New York, where I'm going to do the Yankees home opener against the Red Sox on Friday, uh, having uh, been postponed today because of torrential rains uh, on the scheduled opening day. The Yankees have not been in the World Series. Forget about winning it; they did win it, but they haven't been in the World Series since 2009. The last decade in which the Yankees were not in the World Series was the teens, not the 20-teens, the 19-teens, before the arrival of Babe Ruth. And if you think that's not an issue in New York with Yankee fans, now, they haven't had a sub-500 season since the early 1990s, but uh, they haven't won a World Series. The the Tory era was incredible, but they haven't won. they won one World Series since 2000. So the Cardinals, relatively speaking, have done better than that. And they've won a World Series and been in a World Series more recently than the Yankees, two of them, 2011 and 2013. But it speaks to the expectation, yes, it's not quite as harsh and demanding in St. Louis as it is in New York and some other cities. But Cardinal fans uh, have come to expect, and they get it, come to expect contenders. But let's look at this realistically. We now have multiple layers of the playoffs where even the best teams can get tripped up the Giants won 107 last year. They didn't get out of the Division Series because they ran to the Dodgers who won 106. But the Dodgers didn't get to the World Series. But you Think about how difficult it is to run that gauntlet. And now they're going to add additional playoff teams. And the wild card round will be best two out of three. And one of the three Division winners is going to be thrown into that crapshoot. So October, or maybe into early November, is really an entirely separate season. The best you can hope for, occasionally there will be a dynastic-type team, but the best you can hope for is that you're constantly in the mix and then the breaks go your way uh, in October. Um, so I understand, but uh, the, Cardinals, the Cardinals have consistently put an excellent product on the field. They're a consistently well-run franchise in almost every respect you can think of. There is one really strong team besides the Cardinals in the national league central and that's the brewers and if anything they've only gotten stronger and they have that a very impressive uh... starting rotation um, it seems as if the cubs uh... are not the force that they once were the reds look like a team that was moving toward that and then they took several steps back this offseason selling off or failing to resign uh... players that were essential for them so they don't appear to be uh, a factor so it looks to me like the cardinals and the brewers are are going to contend in the central but with extra wild cards um it's, it's it's almost certain, barring a disaster, that the Cardinals will play in October.
3: Bob, we, we tend to look at the micro view of baseball here in St. Louis. We're a town that's obsessed with the Cardinals. We're obsessed yeah. with baseball. And I know if we take the macro view, around the country, fans were really upset by the lockout and, and the tensions surrounding it. And there's a lot of consternation always about the vitality of baseball or the sport as a whole. What do you think about the state of baseball currently?
2: I think the state of baseball, for fans and as an entertainment product, revolves around what happens on the field. The disputes and the negotiations about economic issues are inevitable and they're essential. But what the viewer cares about, and ultimately that's what translates to how well the business does, is the game on the field. And what's happened, and I'm echoing what you've heard many people say and write over the past decade or so, the game does not have its full texture often enough. You don't see on a consistent basis as many of the multiple elements of baseball that made up its appeal. It's, It's too centered on a handful of things, strikeouts, walks, home runs, too few stolen base attempts, too few baseball plays. The triple is in eclipse. The stolen base is in eclipse. Guys in motion are in eclipse. Small ball, those little strategic nuances. Um, You may have heard me say this before. The overall strikeout rate in baseball is roughly equal to Nolan Ryan's career strikeout rate. Now, when Nolan Ryan or Bob Gibson or Sandy Koufax or Randy Johnson did it, that was, hey, wait a minute. Stop everything. I want to watch this. Look at the probable pitchers in the paper. Wow, Randy Johnson. Let's watch this. But when five pitchers combine to strike out 16 hitters, people don't even notice it, except when they're yawning, because there's no action in the game. So there are initiatives now being considered. Pitch clocks being tried out in the minor leagues seems to make sense, at least with no one on base. Uh, Limiting shifts almost seems certain to come. Limiting the number of pitchers on the roster uh, exp- making the bases larger, which seems crazy, but making them a few inches larger on either side actually at least marginally increases the chance that a close play turns into safe on a steal attempt or an attempt to take an extra base as opposed to being out. And they're hoping that that will spur people taking more chances with the running game, etc., etc. Uh, they're well aware. They're well aware that this is a problem. Baseball's supposed to have, and I know I'm a broken record on this because I first started saying this 20 years ago, Baseball is supposed to have a pleasing, leisurely pace. It's not supposed to have a lethargic pace. The average game should take closer to two and a half hours than to three hours and 15 minutes. And postseason games that are three to one should not wind up taking four hours. Last year in the World Series, and I'm just picking random thoughts out of my head here, uh, as I so often do. um, (laughs) Last year in the World Series, six-game series between the Astros uh, and the Braves, so therefore 12 starts. In only one of those starts did the starter get into the sixth inning. Max Fried got into the sixth inning. I don't think he lasted through the sixth, but he got to the sixth for the Braves. What is that? Not only is it odd strategically but it diminishes the theater and drama of the game um you, you no longer have those moments and i'm not reaching into the distant past i'm not talking about bob gibson and sandy koufax i'm talking about madison bumgarner only several years ago those moments where the hero of the series is on the mound when the series ends no matter how great modern day pitchers who are going to the hall of fame may be There will be few, if any, images of them that match the iconic images of the game's all-time greats leaping into the arms of their teammates after they recorded the last out that won the pennant or won the World Series. That diminishes the theater and drama and and iconography of baseball, which it's always relied upon more than any other sport.
0: Bob Costas is with us, Kierker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And, Bob, when you talk about the the pace of baseball one thing that we hear a lot and i saw you talk about this on a tv interview is that baseball is prepared to embrace gambling what is your thought about especially because of the pace baseball going all in and embracing gambling
2: look um, all sports you strip it away follow the money no matter what our passions and shared experiences and sentimentality may be, uh, no matter how large the overall revenues are, they're always grabbing for more. Pretty soon, coming to baseball seems, seems like heresy, but uh, advertising patches on uniforms, not just all around the ballpark. Uh, when gambling becomes as ever-present as it will be, it makes the game even more transactional. Even with the advent of fantasy leagues, it got to be that way. Uh, You'd be watching a football game, usually, and let's say say you're you're watching, um, I shouldn't say the Rams, that brings back bad feelings, you're you're watching whoever the hell your team is. We're we're
0: betting against them, Bob.
1: Yeah. Right, right, well, there you go.
2: But but, but, but think about this, this, okay, I'll I'll choose Eastern time zone teams, so the one o'clock start. You're watching the Bills play the Jets. There's... Three minutes gone in the first quarter. Now across the bottom of the screen comes a graphic that says Atlanta nothing, Tampa Bay nothing, M. Ryan, one for three, eight yards. Matt Ryan's mother doesn't care about that. Only people in fantasy leagues care about that. Right, <laughs> right? And, and so now extend it to, to, uh, to betting where it's legal in many states where well, you can literally do it on your smartphone and where prop bets abound that in baseball, because there's so many moments that you potentially can bet on them almost every pitch. You can bet at how this at bat ends. You're going to, you're going to hear murmurs of cheering at odd times in games from pockets of fans who have bet on the outcome of this half inning or this at bat or, or whatever it may be. And that's going to take away Um, You know, I'm not being, this is not get off my lawn, the world changes, and it's all, you know, what can we do about it? But it's going to change to some extent the way people relate to sports. Now, I should stipulate that I don't come to this from some position of, oh, my goodness, the, the, the sky is falling. My father was an inveterate gambler. But back then, you had to go out of your way to gamble. You had to find a bookie, and he did guys named Blinky and Three Finger, and I'm not making this up, like guys out of Goodfellas, you know? Um, Guys, you had to have a code, you picked up the phone, you gave the code, give me so-and-so for a nickel or a dime or whatever it is, and then you met them clandestinely, and either you paid them or they paid you. When I was nine years old, if you asked me what the line was on the Giants-Eagles game this coming Sunday on Tuesday, I could give you that line within a point accurately. And but to me, there was a certain kind of Runyon esque romance about it, as traumatic as it sometimes could be. When the mortgage was riding on the outcome of a given game, there was a certain romance about it. You know, a certain guys and dolls romance about it. Now, as I said on, on HBO, um, there's not not much romance to the idea of some dork in his dorm room <laughs> pissing away, you know, half the the money for the tuition that is parents worked multiple jobs to save on a prop bet about how many third quarter fumbles would be recorded by linebackers with second cousins named Simon you know it's <laughs> just, just not the same thing Bob when when you met
0: Blinky and you
2: met Three Finger I'm fingers, losing my mind you know that I'm, I just, I'm losing my mind right here on the air I,
0: I have to know if Blinky blinked a lot and if Three Finger really had three fingers yeah
2: oh, that, well, <laughs> I never met Three Finger, Um, and neither did I ever meet Mordecai Three Finger Brown, who was before my time. I never met Three Finger, but Blinky did come to our house once, and it was like a July day, and it was hot, and it was humid, but this is the way these guys dressed. He's wearing that suit, you know, and he's got like a fedora, like a snap-brim hat, like he's in a movie, a pinky ring and the whole thing. And I think my dad was, I don't think I know, my dad was down. He had to pay up, and he didn't quite have it on him. So I'm like 11, 12 years old. He says, answer the door and tell him I'm not here. And the guy goes, John here? And I go, no, no, he's not here. When's he coming back? Well, I'm not sure. It's like Sunday afternoon. There's two cars in the driveway. Where could he be? When's he coming Tell him, Blinky. Would, yeah, okay. I'll tell him, Mister Blinky. And then my father got the money together before Blinky had to come a second time. But I did, and I told this story on HBO a few months ago. I did go with my dad um, in 1966. I was 14 years old, and I went with him to meet his bookie at a donut shop in Brooklyn. Now, to the bookie. It's all transactional. He pays up on time because he knows that over time, most of his clients, to put it that way, will lose over time. And that's his business. So as long as you pay on time, he's happy to pay no matter how much he owes you. So we meet him at this donut shop. And we sit down on the stools, and they make small talk. And the guy goes, this guy's name was Al, which was disappointing to me because he he didn't have a call. His name was Al. (laughs) And, and, And he goes, that your boy? Nice boy. And he goes, I swear, he goes, you drink milk? And I'm, I'm, I'm 14 years old now, I drink tequila. You well, I, yes, I do okay, sure. He goes, give the kid a glass of milk and a donut. How thoughtful. So they give me the donut and a glass of milk. They make some more, more small talk. And the guy slides a paper bag across the counter to my father. They make a, a few more hellos and goodbyes. We walk out, and under a Brooklyn street light in the car, my dad counts out, $14,000 in $100 bills, 1966. That's about five grand less than what our house had cost that he bought on the GI Bill. And then he goes, We're in Brooklyn. He goes, All right, Bobby, let's go to Coney Island. We'll eat at Nathan's and ride the, ride the cyclone. Now, I'm not encouraging people to gamble, but that's a much more romantic and memorable <laughs> scenario than, than sitting there on your smartphone saying this guy is going to ground out or strike out and I'll put a hundred bucks on it. Right,
3: right. Yeah, you're right, Bob. And I, I know a lot of people do that on their phones these days. I was actually reading a story about you last night where you were self-described technophobe. You, didn't, you do not like the technology, but you, it says that you did get an iPhone. So how's the oh, yeah. transition been going for you?
2: Well, I'm four years into that transition. The learning curve was not that steep, although the flip phone was kind of a signature for me. (laughs) Uh, you know people actually would ask to see it like they'd ask to see the Mickey Mantle card from 1958 <laughs> <laughs> the, the, you know so, some some people have a Heisman trophy or something else that's that's their signature i've got a flip phone and a mickey mantle card what can i tell you <laughs>
0: hey one last thing bob and uh, we we can get it into to a minute i just I, I want you to be able to tell st louis how thrilled you are for jim cott making the hall of fame because he ended his career here
2: Jim Codd is a wonderful guy. He's been a great citizen of baseball uh, going back to 1959, really before when he was in the minor leagues. But in 1959, uh, he broke into the major leagues. You are talking about a guy who's broadcasting games now who faced Mickey Mantle, who faced Stan Musial in spring training or in, or in all-star games. Um, that's, that's the kind of history that he brings to it, and, and he's a lovely man. They're going to retire uh, his uniform number finally in Minnesota, and I'm going to be part of that. Ceremony, uh, and he's going to do at least one last season now for the Major League Baseball Network to tie a ribbon around his career. He's in his early 80s now, um, can still shoot his age or better on the golf course. Once did it left-handed and right-handed on consecutive days. Um, so I'm terribly, I'm not terribly, I'm very happy. Uh, for Jim Cott, one of the nicest guys I've ever encountered.
0: Well, we're very happy that you are so generous with your time for us. Thanks so much. And tomorrow, we'll be tuned in. Yankees and Red Sox on uh, MLB Network. Looking forward to that. Have a great year, Bob, and we'll talk soon.
2: Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Michelle.
1: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the College Football Playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama.